The epistle is from Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One little word can fell him. That is, one little word can topple the devil. There's some debate over what word that is, what was Luther getting at, but it's as simple as one little word. Maybe a word like this, forgiveness or promise from God. One little word can fell him. It's the little word of the gospel. The good news that Jesus has died for your sins. That little word is the mightiest weapon there ever was. And it sends the devil reeling, and that word is yours. And I want you to hold it fast. I want you never to forget. As days go by, as you encounter troubles and sorrows and grief, as you encounter temptation as the world tries to have its way with you, never lose sight of this, this good news, that Jesus has died for your sins. Let that be your last thought, the last words on your lips, the thing that you hold most dearly. Christ has died for you. He's died for you, and that matters because of sin. And this is where we have to kind of go back to the basics. Reformation Day is a good opportunity to go back to the basics. It's always good to review the fundamentals. Sin is the starting place. So I've invited you before to picture the world as described by the Bible, to picture it as a house turned upside down, and all of the consequences and the chaos that result from that. The couches lying on the ceiling, the pipes are all burst, the electrical is all in disarray. You can picture a house that way. That's what it's like living in this world as a result of sin. But I'd like you to think a little bit differently today about that house. It's not flipped upside down, but it is on fire. That's what it's like to live in this world as a sinner. A house on fire. And really, anybody who's living in a house on fire knows that the house is on fire. You'd have to be without a sense of smell, without a sense of touch. You'd have to be a fool not to know that the house is on fire. And that is the experience of everyone in this world. Everyone knows the house is on fire. You know it every time you're sad, every time you're sorry, every time you have regret of any kind. 
You know it when you see the turmoil in the world, when you see chaos and evil. You know that the house is on fire. But here's the important thing to observe. It's very easy to look around and see everyone else's houses on fire and to overlook the fact that your house is also burning. So today I want you to pay attention to your house, the fire in your house. Things are not right. But do you know why your house is on fire? It's one thing to notice that the house is on fire, and it's another thing entirely to know why it's on fire. And here's the fact, the hard fact, is that you lit it on fire. It's your fault. You lit it on fire with your sins. Now here's the thing about fire. You can start with a very small fire, just a spark, or you can come with a flamethrower, and at the end of the day, the result for your house will be the same. It doesn't matter whether you threw a cigarette into the, cat, the, the trash can or you left a match on the table or the candle burned down a little bit too far or whether you lit the drapes on fire or whether you set off a bomb in your house, the same result is at the end. The house is crumbling and burnt down. An evil thought, a hasty word, some tiny little bitterness that's in your heart indulged, some little bit of lust, some little bit of envy, those little sparks, they will burn the whole house down. That is what they will do. They start a fire, and that fire keeps on burning. That's important to know. Where did this fire start? You're the one who dropped the match. And we like to ignore that. We like to minimize that. We like to set that aside and pretend like it's not our problem, not our fault. Look, it's just a little bit of smoke. <laughs> I'll just open the windows and we'll, get the, we'll turn on the fans and we'll get the smoke out of the house. As though that actually solves the problem of the flame that is burning and growing. It's easy in our lives to hide the consequences of sin. To imagine that they're not there. To pretend that it's just a distraction, an inconvenience, as opposed to a fire that threatens the whole house. We also like to give ourselves excuses or to justify our sin. So we say, look, somebody else really started the fire. And it may in fact be true that somebody else lit your couch on fire. Somebody came in and lit the couch on fire. But that doesn't mean that you didn't do damage when you also lit the coffee table on fire. Just because they started a bigger fire than you doesn't mean that you're not responsible for the fire in your house. It doesn't do to make excuses or to justify it. We studied Genesis chapter 3 in Bible class this last Wednesday evening. You know how the story goes. What do Adam and Eve do as soon as God confronts them with their sin? Adam says, it's the woman that you gave to me. She started the fire, and look, God, really you started the fire. It's your fault. And Eve does the same thing. It was that serpent, the devil. He's the one who started the fire. God won't have any of it. It's not anybody's fault but your own. That's the nature of sin. When we think about sin, the first place we should think about sin is the sin in our own hearts. And look, if you think about sin in that way, that solves a whole lot of problems that we encounter in our lives. The problem of focusing on other people's sins. Your sins are the worst ones. The ones that are threatening to kill you. Your sins are the ones that are burning down your house. And so, look at them. Pay attention to your sins. Now, recognizing that there's a fire burning, that there is sin, that there's smoke, and that stuff is in danger, recognizing that is an excellent starting place. So much of the world pretends that it's not happening. Most of the world, in fact. But it is not enough just to know that there's a fire. 
It's not just enough to know that there's a fire. You have to do something about it. But the fact is, there's not a lot you can do. So all of our efforts to put out the fire that we start in our house, they are futile. Jessica likes to remember this story. We were uh, at her folks' house, and there was a guy baling hay out in the field, and the baler started on fire. And my first reaction, I hadn't spent much time around balers on fire before, my first reaction was to go and grab a five-gallon pail of water and start running towards that fire. That was not going to help at all. Jessica just stood there and laughed at me. What is a five-gallon pail of water going to do for a baler that's on fire? Our efforts to put out the fire in our houses is like walking around with a teaspoon of water trying to douse out a couch that's on fire. If we say, oh, I see that there's a fire there. I see that I've sinned. Let me try to undo that. Let me try to fix that. Let me try to put that fire out. It will never work. That's the thing about sin. It grows and it grows and it grows and it consumes and it destroys. And once it starts, you cannot stop it. That is something that we have to get into our heads. No amount of effort, no amount of striving, no amount of apologizing undoes sin. Maybe you've seen this before. When one little boy hits another little boy and that other little boy starts crying, the boy who did the hitting starts saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why won't you believe me? I'm sorry. As though the earnestness or the severity with which he says I'm sorry actually fixes the problem. It's not how loudly you say you're sorry or even how sincere you are that will put out that fire. You can't undo it. It's been done. The pain has been inflicted, the spark caught, and now there is a fire blazing. It is not as though by doing a hundred good things, you can undo any of the bad things that you have done. It's like saying, well, I'm not going to light any more fires, but that doesn't do anything about the fire that is already burning. It's going to burn. And at the end of the day, what does... What happens to the houses that are on fire? This is a thing that everyone needs to realize, and I think that you realize this more and more, especially as you age and you see life around you fading away. What happens because of sin? The house becomes consumed, and the building is left charred and crumbling. Studs and joints and timbers all blackened and rotting and falling apart. At that point, you might look at the house and you might say, yes, I can see so clearly that something is broken here. There's something wrong here. Everything is out of place. But even then, if you were to set about trying to fix it, look at what would happen. You say, well, here's this, here's this board of wood that's out of place. And it, you pick it up to try to put it back into place, and it falls apart in your hands. For every swing of the hammer, you destroy more of the house. This is the way it is with God's law. When we see our sin and we think, I ought to do something about that, I ought to fix that, I ought to set that right, every one of our efforts to do that actually creates more trouble because it shows us how deep the problem goes. This is how St. Paul put it in his epistle to the Romans. He said, with the law comes the knowledge of sin. You have to be prepared for that as Christians. You should love God's word. But as you dig deeper and deeper into God's word, you will discover more and more the depths of sin in your heart. You'll discover more and more just how bad the damage was, how beyond hope that house is. And that's good. Because if we think that we can fix the problem by doing good, or by keeping God's law, or by abstaining from sin, if we think that we can 
fix the problem by reconstructing that house on our own, we will only ever be disappointed. And in the end, we will despair. It's not going to work. There are some, and we could call these people hypocritical Christians, there are some who do a really good job of throwing paint on those charred and burned and rotting timbers. That's one way to deal with the problem, to pretend like the house isn't burning, hasn't burned. But in the end, what would be the result of that? Pretending like sin hasn't had its way in your life, pretending like sin hasn't destroyed everything, pretending like sin isn't the root of the problem, what will happen in the end? The house will still crumble. And you'll be shown to be a fraud, a lie. This, I think, is one of the reasons why uh, all of the focus on self-esteem in our world is a little bit misguided. There's so much focus on self-esteem, feeling good about yourself as an important thing, identifying your worth, recognizing that you are enough, these kinds of things that you hear in the world. Of course, there's, there's a, a pathological problem of low self-esteem. Like, if you feel bad about yourself for no good reason, then that's not good. But what if you should feel bad about yourself? What if you really do have little to be esteemed about? What if really what you have is a house that is burned? Then isn't it far better to reckon with that, to feel bad about that? Isn't it better to feel like garbage when your house has burned down and you were the one who lit the match? That's the only way forward. That's the nature of sin. That's what God's word does for us. It opens our eyes. And dear Christians, you should not be afraid of that. You shouldn't shy away from that. True humility knows no end to the depths of degradation that is willing to suffer. It won't do to pretend like our houses are not burning or to pretend that we can do anything about it. Here's the hope. St. Paul puts it so clearly. You will not be justified by works of the law. You cannot fix this problem on your own. You started it. You can't stop it. Thanks be to God that salvation has come through Christ Jesus. And here's how it looks. He comes to you and he says, I see that your house is on fire. I see that you lit the match. I see you struggling to put that fire out. I see you struggling to rebuild. I see that it will never work. I would like, you to, I would like to give you a place to live. Here, have my home. Jesus comes to you and he says, Here, have my home and I will take yours. You live in my mansion. I will take up residence in the charred remains of your house. You take all of my goodness, all of my love, all of my holiness, you take all of that, and I will take your sin. I will take all of your bitterness, all of your contempt, all of your evil thoughts, all of your lust, all of your envy. I will take all of those matches that you have dropped, and I will say that they were mine. I will say that I started the fire. I will take responsibility for what you've done. I'll pay the consequences. I'll pay the price. I will suffer. I will die. And you will live. That's the little word that is spoken to you. Jesus says, live. I will take your place. How foolish it would be to continue to try to fix your house, to rebuild your house, when this is the offer that's on the table. When Jesus comes to you and says, let me have your sins, why try to fix them anymore? Why try to undo what you've done? Why try to make up for what is gone? Why try to be sorry enough? 
Why try to grieve deeply enough? Why try to apologize enough? Christ has paid the price for you. It really is as simple as that. It seems too good to be true. Maybe there's something I need to do, dear Lord. Maybe I should pay some rent. Maybe I should write you a thank you note. Maybe I should help while you're living in my house. No, Jesus says, I want you to leave it alone. I want you to go and live in my home. I want you to enjoy my righteousness. Now, Jesus often catches us along the way as we're getting ready to leave our burned and charred homes. He catches us sticking in some matches in our pockets and grabbing a lighter off the kitchen sink and taking that flamethrower that we love so much and bringing that to his house. And he says, no, no, no. When you live in my house, no fire anymore. You're not good with fire. You shouldn't play with fire. Leave all of that sin behind. This house is not for burning. This house is for living. Leave all of that behind. He wants to teach you how to live life in his house, how to enjoy life in his house, and that's why he teaches you to avoid sin, why he teaches you what is good and holy and true. And that's why you, dear Christians, should spend your whole life focused on these things. There are lots of interesting things in this world, lots of things that captivate us, that distract us, that take our attention, but nothing is worth paying attention to more than this. What makes for a good life in God's house? What does it mean to love the way that he loves us? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it mean to be holy and righteous and good? Focus on these things. Devote yourself to these things, and you will live in great joy. It does happen along the way that occasionally as you're living in Jesus' house, you put your hand in your pocket and you find a match that you should have gotten rid of. Some sin comes back and tempts you. The devil comes knocking at the door as a fire-lighting implement salesman. He's like, hey, which one of these would you like to put to use? Sometimes that's what happens. Temptation comes our way, and then the old habits come back, and we remember how much we enjoyed lighting fires, how much delight we got from those sins. When that happens, say no, turn him away, throw that match out, and if you fail... If in your weakness you start another fire, remember this. One little word can fell him. Jesus doesn't set you on your way and say, okay, now be perfect. And if you're not perfect, I'm not going to help you. Instead, he gives you this word of forgiveness. He says, it's as simple as this. You couldn't put out that fire with a teaspoon full of water, but I've got a big bucket of water hanging over the house that I'm ready to douse on at any time, and I've got a professional cleaning team ready to come in and make things brand new. This is how forgiveness works. It makes things brand new. And so when you sin, confess, repent, and receive the forgiveness that comes from God. I have died for you, he says, your sins are forgiven. Confess to God and receive again his forgiveness. Confess to the one you have sinned against. Don't neglect that. If you sin against your neighbor, say that you are sorry and receive forgiveness. And just like that, all things are made new. That's how life works in this house. It is far better than the houses that we would try to reconstruct, this life of sin. We just get by waiting for the house to finally crumble. It's far better. That's how we should live as Christians. Joyously, thankful. That not only has Christ given us his home to live in, but that he's also given us everything we need while still sinners to live there in safety. 
It really is as simple as that. One little word can fell him. Whenever it happens, whenever you see sin in your life, use that word. Forgiveness and the promise of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it applies in every case. Don't brush it aside. Don't think it's too little. Don't think it won't do the job. It always does. There is not a single person in your life that does not need to hear the gospel of Jesus. There's not a single moment in your life that you do not need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And so hold fast to what he has done for you. Don't ever let it go. Let that be what you talk about all the time with your family and friends. Surround yourself with people who are willing to talk with you about the gospel of Jesus, who are willing to remind you of what he has done for you so that you will never forget. Rejoice and be glad. You have a Savior who loves you so much, far more than you could ever have hoped for, far more than you certainly deserve. He's loved you to hell and back, and he wants to give you his life. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.